Welcome to the Breakout Growth Podcast, where Sean Ellis interviews leaders from the world's fastest growing companies to get to the heart of what's really driving their growth. And now, here's your host, Sean Ellis. In this episode, we'll look at Resi, a UK-based service that aims to reduce the challenges of home renovation and building projects. So I'm speaking with the CEO at Resi, Alexandra DePledge. She previously built and sold Hassle.com, which was Europe's largest marketplace for domestic cleaners. Now, she and her team, after only 2.5 years, they've built Resi to become the largest residential architectural platform in the UK. And I think they've really done it in something that's that's particularly challenging, which is a, a product that solves a really infrequent use case. And so there's some opportunities with that and some challenges with that that I'll discuss with Alex. And I personally was really inspired by the way that she and her team are taking on this challenge. So let's get started. All right. Welcome to the Breakout Growth Podcast, Alex. Thanks. So glad to be here. And so it was very cool to actually spend time with you yesterday in our workshop and then to be able to come today and talk through growth because you clearly have a lot of experience, <laughs> not just growing your current company, but also uh, your, your previous company. So can you, can you give a little bit of background on both uh, what you're currently doing now with Resi and then what you previously did so that our listeners can. Yeah, sure. So um, so I'll do the other way around. So okay. um, in 2012, uh, Jules and I started Hassle.com. Um, well, it wasn't Hassle in the beginning, but that's another story. But it, be it was um, Europe's largest um, marketplace for fine and domestic cleaner. The US comparison would be HomeJoy or Handy. Um, so and we started slightly before them, got cracking, went through um, four European countries and ended up selling in 2015 to a German competitor. Um, Jules and I left the business six months afterwards, swore we would never do this again. And then lo and behold, six months after that, I started to do a renovation on my home and got incre incredibly frustrated with uh, uh, how long everything took, how it was really confusing. Um, and then I spoke to Jules about this and a week later we had a working prototype that went to market formerly called BuildPath. Um, it's now been rebranded to, to Resi. So we've been going two and a half years and we're now the largest residential architectural platform in the UK, but we do a little bit more than that than just sort of um, building and, uh, sorry, like design and planning and building regs. We actually now finance the build for people and we wow. also introduce contractors and the relevant people that you need. So the whole idea is that we're a cradle to grave solution for anyone that's wanting to build a house mm -hmm. or renovate a house. So as I mentioned before we got started, I'm uh, in the process of building a house. Lucky so you. <laughs> yeah, so this this uh, really hits home for me, including I recently got denied for a loan to build the house despite oh. having like probably about as good credit scores you can have and having this diversified sources of income, but because I just recently started my own self-employment company and don't have enough income history for them to to fund it so fortunately i have the bank balances that are pretty close to get me there anyway and it's very good motivation to keep working hard so that i <laughs> so that i continue to have the income coming in so that i can yeah. hit those but i mean just for me to see that it was hard for me to get some funding, yeah. um, all of the problems that you list i've experienced recently so yeah. um, to me i think that's one of the one of the keys to any breakout growth company, and this whole podcast is about trying to understand 
what drives breakout growth. And it's, it's, you know, product market fit. It's solving a problem that is real, that's widespread with a solution that really does solve that problem. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it definitely strikes as you go through each one of these things, um, you know, everything from how picking the right architect, uh, how, how do you do that? Most people have never been through a building project. Fortunately for us, we, this is our second building project, our second like major building project. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're just, you're flying through all of these things blindly and it's exciting that you're pulling together a solution to help someone through those challenging parts. Yeah. And I think so like, you know, to be really clear, I'm not an architect, nor have I ever been an architect. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of an odd thing to go into because it's a very professional um, environment. Right. But I think the big difference between Resi and everybody else is we came out from what does the consumer want? So the whole of architecture for the longest time has been this quite elitist, quite uh, sort of stuffy, very highbrow discipline that you know oh you've got an architect um whereas so some people just went ahead without an architect because they, they either were too intimidated or didn't realize they needed one and other people like you say were how, how do i find a good one and what we've tried to do is turn it on its head and make it all about the consumer instead of about the architect right. um so we serve the consumer rather than the other way around yep no that makes that makes a lot of sense so if you were to break down what the kind of What's gotten you to this point? And you can even, I, th- I think, reference your, your previous company where you had a lot of success. Um, what, what do you think the key factors are that have helped you get to this point? And obviously, no good entrepreneur is satisfied with where they are. It's all about going further. But when in some of the external numbers that I saw about the company, I can see you guys are on a really nice growth tra- trajectory. Yeah, so I guess um, I think what what was great about doing it the second time around is um, you made a lot of mistakes the first time out that you learn from. So um, we decided we were going to keep a bunch of stuff that we did well at Hassel and then get rid of a bunch of other stuff. So one of the things that we said was rather than trying to kind of do lots of different things all at once and also internationalize and do all the things that you typically see tech companies do. We said we were going to start really, really small. So we started just with concepts. So the idea that someone is thinking about doing something to their home, but Mm -hmm. they don't want to pay two or three thousand pounds for an architect. They want to just understand what are the cost implications, what's possible, what value will it add, what will it look like? So we started with a really low level entry product for a couple hundred bucks and you could find out all of that stuff mm-hmm. and we did that and then we let the customers lead us which mm-hmm. we didn't do before and so at the end of a lot you know when we'd done a you know a couple of hundred of those concept designs for a few hundred bucks people were saying to us this is great we love this can you now get planning okay. so we were like oh yeah. okay what do we need to do to get planning so then you know we went down that path and we started to become the planning agent we've now integrated with 60 percent of local councils or like plan what, what do you call those in the states your your the planning commissions exactly yeah, so same right. thing here so now we have like automated into the back end of them so everything's it, it automatically goes through and we act as a planning agent and then beyond that people were then like oh this is great you know you got us planning quick like we trust you can you do our building regs drawing so they're your technical specs that mm-hmm. basically mean that the building stands up doesn't fall down right right um and we were like oh okay well yeah okay let's do that and then we get to the end of that journey and everyone's like oh right now i need a builder can you help with that and we were like oh well how do we solve that yeah. so i guess the way that we've done it is take a really operationally complex project a complex thing that people do and instead of kind of going okay we're going to serve the whole thing right. we went let's just serve a bit of it learn from that and then see where that takes us yeah and that served us really well because we've had product market fit you can argue from day one not the whole product sure. but part of the product you solved an important problem in the mix of problems and you've, you've yeah. kind of started to find the other 
related problems that you can move to next. Completely. And then a lot of people were, came to us and they were like, well, look, you know, I want to do this thing, but I don't know how much it's going to cost. And therefore, I don't know how much to ask the bank for. So yeah. we were like, hang on a minute. Um, how can they go to a bank and ask for an, an unknown amount? But equally, they, they don't want to pay us any money when they don't know if they can get to the bank and afford it. So this chicken and egg process. So we were like, well, why wouldn't we finance it? So then we went out and started talking to finance providers wow. to come up with a bespoke product so people like you that have got assets in the bank can borrow money because this is a typical problem. You know, people who are like self-employed yeah. often get declined equally. The way, you know, a lot of people don't want to remortgage their entire house just yeah. to do a 50 grand extension. So what we do is we provide a bespoke finance product that allows you to do the kind of work without paying any, so borrow, but pay nothing. Yeah. Um, and then you wrap it all up into a remo at the end at the increased value so the whole thing works out better um yeah. but you know all we wouldn't have known that two and a half years ago so right. that's kind of the, the gift really i think of letting the the market lead us rather than us try and lead the market right, right. and just to put like that finance into into perspective i don't even have a mortgage on my primary residence we own it straight out i was trying to borrow against my primary residence to fund this and i still got denied in an, in a bank where i had enough cash to actually cover the project it was just more of a credit line in case we have overages yeah. and I, so i i definitely see where the problem can be and you know what again i always have always said you know hassle really wouldn't have been possible without the advent of the smartphone and i yeah. think you know the finance product part of resi wouldn't have been possible without the rise of new banks like yeah. the neo banks over here because they're really Really challenging some of the bigger institutions to change yeah. to do things quicker and so again a lot of this stuff is timing yeah and another trend that feeds into that though is is that my situation is much less unique than it would have been 10 or 20 years ago you have a lot of self-employed people with mm -hmm. with essentially a diverse source of income and it's that untraditional type of person that, that the banks just aren't in a position to fund really and so yeah. I think it's I mean, it, it's neat because it almost puts you as a fintech business. It puts you, oh, which, steady. yeah, which could be scary. But I mean, it, it's I don't want any competition. Yeah, I've got any minute so far. <laughs> but but I mean, I do think that um, that the more important thing is that you're identifying problems. That there's there's so many problems when you're tackling a uh, building project, and that I mean, even even recently, um, a debate with my wife and me. Um, do we do we have an interior designer or do we not? When we did our primary home, we originally had an interior designer who was driving my wife absolutely crazy and we had prepaid her. And oh. I said, let's get rid of her because life's too short and I don't care if we've prepaid her. I just don't like to see you be miserable. You're great at design. Why don't you just do it? And so as we revisited that, it's just like you're great at design. Let's not work with an outside designer, but just there's so many really hard decisions with this that, that, yeah. um, and so many marketplace opportunities and, and different places that you can take this, that, uh, it's super exciting. And, and I think that's, that is something we identified straight away. So, you know, everybody always says to you, like, what's your USP? Like, what's your big thing? Are you cheaper? Are you faster? And I guess with both of those things, but really for me, it's exactly what you just said there with, this is an education and a trust play. Yeah. It's like when you walk into it, there are so many moving parts and so many different people 
people that need to be involved and you've got no idea you you as a person have no idea how much it costs to plaster a wall and whether that person's been you know genuine in right. their pricing right so you you kind of need that sort of trusted advisor I hate yeah. that word but that's the kind of and that's the role that we try to play at Resi so we try to be an independent sort of these are the things that we do and then these are a whole bunch of stuff that we will kind of put you in into play so really what we're actually trying to do is we're trying to become the plumbing of the entire residential kind of sector yeah not the buying and selling but the building and the kind of changing of it yeah and then i also saw that you have like a hotline on the phone on the website so i mean just having that source where when you have those questions you can call in yeah and i is that available for people who are not yet paying customers? Yeah, we, so we don't discriminate. So that's we, awesome. we that's, give away free advice, basically. Which is a great potential way to build that trust to then onboard them into the overall system. Yeah, exactly. There's so many questions that I could go here, but um, I guess one, one question is how do you make money right now? Uh, yeah, so good question. So we sell services. Um, so if you take a concept or you do building regs through us or you want planning, we charge a fee. Um, so it's, it's straightforward. There's no subscription. Um, so, you know, basically, the uh, once you've bought a house, the second most expensive thing you will do with that house after buying it is to renovate it. Um, and so this is usually a one-time only purchase, which doesn't make me very attractive to VCs, but hey, I don't care anyway. Yeah. Um, but what it is, is a huge basket size. So, you know, our average basket size is about two and a half thousand pounds and our cost of acquisition is, is a couple hundred quid. Yeah. So it's it's very Pretty healthy. Good formula, yeah. yeah exactly. Um, but what it means is we need to make each of those people ambassadors for us because it's the sort of thing that when you're sitting around the dinner table and having a conversation with your friends, everyone's got those horror stories about, oh, I got my loft done and the cow, you know, I had a cowboy builder or my architect wouldn't give my drawings or they disappeared. And so what we need to do is like know that our customers are going to be ambassadors for years because it's, right. it's not a frequent purchase. Exactly. Um, and that's, I, I, and I, I feel like that's the loop that you have to optimize for yeah. an infrequent purchase. You yeah. can't optimize engagement. So your value kind of indicator is how, how much referral am I getting? How many people are recommending this service is, exactly. is probably a really important part. Yeah, super important. So, um, so yeah, so we just make money off the services that people purchase. Um, and then we also uh, make money from partnerships that we have um, when people take other people's services, which is just the standard in the industry. Again, yeah. we've not done anything crazy with the model. Um, we haven't gone in with a new business model. We've basically just taken the business model that already exists because it works. Mm -hmm. um, and we've just, because we're able to drive efficiencies through the use of technology and various other things like data um, and the way that we work, because we've modularized the process rather than doing it end to end. Um, that's just driven out. I probably would say about 65% of what we do is automated. And mm -hmm. if you think um, the stat that killed me when I got into this industry was that um, in the UK, there's only 35,000 chartered architects. Mm -hmm. And of those 35,000, only 3% work in practices of 10 or more, which basically means there's been mm -hmm. zero R&D mm -hmm. in the entire sector. And the productivity is the same as it's been since the 1950s. Mm -hmm. But when I found that out, I was like, holy crap mm -hmm. to not swear I was like this is just ripe for the taking and so we didn't actually need to do that much other than just be better right. um you know be quicker be you know more about the customer um make sure that they were at the center of the journey and then you know basically try to deliver it in layman's terms rather than in terms that people don't understand right right yeah. so um as a CEO there's obviously so many different parts of your day of what you what you could be doing and mm -hmm. um, fortunately I think from from other interviews that I've listened to and from a, a little bit of uh, from here it sounds like you're not really aggressively going out and trying to raise capital which can be 
a full-time job as a CEO, yeah. um, but you still like building the team, team morale, trying to get the product right, kind of all of these pieces. Where does growth fit into your day in terms of how much time of your day are you really thinking about how do we, how do we acquire and satisfy customers? Yeah, so I guess if you break the two founders down, Jules and I, Jules takes the kind of um, product and the tech, and I, I tend to take the people and definitely the marketing. So we have a marketing team, and, and you can call it a sales team, but it's not really. It's like business consultation, like business right. development. So I'd say that, but I don't really, I don't. Our COO looks after the sales and then the architect bit. So the okay. throughputs, we have about forty architects here, but definitely with with marketing, um, I probably spend. Um, I'm probably going to get judged on this, but I probably only spend about 20% on that. But I think that's because um, the guy that I've got in there, Will, is, is a, he's him and I are in lockstep. So yeah. he's really good at kind of, we set an agenda and then he executes against it. And I think our learnings at Hassle were really like, you can't build a business on the back of paid marketing. It right. can be part of the mix, but it can't be everything. So we went out and we went strong into content straight away. Yeah. So we rank really highly on in, in SEO now. And mm-hmm. um, we've got great brand awareness and we've got great word of mouth. And so mm-hmm. actually 50% of all of our um, in-month um, acquisitions come from unpaid marketing. Right. So the work we did in early 2017 when we first started and Will was our first employee, that's really paid dividends. And so what I'd say is like, I was hugely involved in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Like it was like my area, quote unquote. And then as time's gone along and we've grown, you know, we're like 70 people now. The It's less of my time because we kind of have the strategy and it's been executed against. Mm-hmm. I kind of sound like I'm defending myself. Like I feel like I should be like, oh, I'm doing like 8% on growth. <laughs> well, so I think it's interesting because when you, you immediately, when I asked about growth, you went to the amount of time you spend on marketing. But clearly having the solution work in a way that people are so happy that they start telling other people about it. Um, all, all of these other parts of the business that help to drive growth beyond simply beyond simply just going out and doing paid marketing. Um, that's all part of that formula. And I think even, even picking what's the next, what's the next market segment we're going after, what's the unmet need that's closest to what we're already meeting. All of those are part of growth. And so if you, if you think more holistically about all of the things that affect growth in the business, how much of your time do you think you probably spend thinking so, about growth? Well, I was just about to say that. So the way that the operations divided is James, our COO, um, takes all of, and this can sound such a consulting term, but business as usual. Okay. So that's the stuff I've talked about already. Yeah. That's the finance, the builders, the design, everything else, the marketing, mm-hmm. the sales. I spend um, the vast majority of my time on new business. And what I mean by that is new products. Yep. So we divide it that way because what we tend to do is incubate new products underneath me with a team. Yep. Um, we test those products and run them. And that can mean that we're borrowing resources from BAU or yep. we're high, we, we've got new resources. But sure. what we tend to do is we incubate that. We test and learn. We get that to a, to a scale at which it feels like it's got a cadence and mm-hmm. it's got stability and then we release it back under James. So then, and then, it, then we it becomes again. part of the business as usual yeah. Yeah. collection. Got and the it. reason that we do that is in the beginning, like when we were li- literally had no idea what we were doing and making it up as we went along, um, we would we launched new things. Like we launched Surveying, we launched Bregs and it completely sideswiped the business because as they ramped, we'd not accounted for it, it took a different skill set or it took a slightly different piece, you know, slight, like slightly different journey within the technology or um, we needed a, a you know a, to have a third party come in and mm-hmm. do some so we hadn't taken invo- uh, into consideration any of that stuff and what 
happened is we had a really tough time in 2018 where... Um, these new products consumed so much oxygen that the core business started to get damaged. Right, right. Then we got backlogged. Then you get bad, you know, customer complaints, yeah, people yeah. not being happy. And so what we decided is actually in future, we ring fence all new products and we run them separately. So I guess when you put that with my time that I spend on, so Connect is mine. So the the, the third party products, they sit underneath me as well at the minute because we're, we're not a very broad, managed, I guess, leadership team at the minute. Mm-hmm. So I'd probably say then, you know, if you put those things together, I'd probably say I spent 65% yeah. of my time on on growth and then maybe probably 20% on people right. and then 15% on external stuff. And and to me, it seems like, I mean, so 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 much of yesterday, for example, I was talking about the importance of, of test and learn and that part of your test and learn or huge part of your test and learn is the fact that you said you started small, you picked a very focused problem. You started to solve that problem and you just keep seeing the additional opportunities. I love the fact that you said that as you spread to those additional opportunities, it's easy to take your eye off the ball of the core business, especially um, myself as an ADD person. Like I'm always chasing the next thing and and sometimes leave a little bit of a mess behind me. And so (laughs) having a business as usual group that really operationalizes and, and manages and makes sure that you're delivering to the expectations or hopefully above the expectations of customers. And so you've kind of got the discovery. I almost feel like that's part of your growth model is you keep adding these additional services that increase the breadth of what the product can do but you're you're validating them first you're going as the entrepreneur yeah. you're going in and making sure that we can actually create a service that meets the need of that unfulfilled uh, need and then and then once you validated that you're plugging it in you're operationalizing it making it a, a standard part of the overall package and that over time you hopefully then have a, a solution that helps to to solve more and more of yeah. the customer need in the in the building space completely and I, th- I think one of, I think the stark realization for me was not like customers complaining it was like looking around and seeing what I was doing to my staff yeah um, you know because we haven't raised millions and millions of VC dollars and we just said we didn't want to do that this time because we wanted to retain more control and actually be honest like I don't think this is a really a VC backable business right yeah. now and so I think we made a good choice there but because of that you know we don't have as much money as everybody else yeah. and therefore I don't have surplus staff just like hanging out you right, know right. and so when you when I looked around the the you know when I came back from maternity leave and there was just like I looked at some of the people that have been with us and I was like oh my god I'm killing these guys right. and when you when you pulled it all apart and worked out like why am I killing them it wasn't the workload it was it was the variety of things that they would be asked to do yeah um, and so that's why we decided we came up with this kind of split you know I would take the new stuff um, and then James would take the kind of BAU stuff and yeah. you know it worked for now it's working really well I think it's an awesome formula because I, I do think people are wired differently there are some people who like the predictability of managing kind of a core proven oh, business. Oh yeah, that's not me. <laughs> yeah, me neither. And then there's people that are the explorers that like to to, to, to push the edges and figure yeah. out the new stuff and create that value. And if you have a team of people that are, that are um, excited about discovery and testing and learning and they're doing that and you've got another group that is all about how do we, how do we build predictability? How do we create outcomes that are based on learning from other outcomes and just really systematize that, that the people who thrive in one environment generally don't in the other. The mistake I see in so many companies is that they are trying to 
have people wear both hats and and just we're not all wired exactly the same well, way and it also I don't, you must have talked about this on previous podcasts like you know that kind of like growth spurt when you kind of go from being like that small generalist team of like 30 and then yep. you suddenly get to close to 100 and you basically it's specialization like everyone needs to specialize yeah. and these early employees it's like they've been with you they're super loyal what do you do with them well actually this model gives us loads of I flex that. in yeah. that and um, i'm able i love assets i can lift and shift i know i should yeah. talk about people like that but that's the kind of i have a box of people that I know I can lift and shift and they're going to thrive. Yeah. And then I have another bunch of people that actually they like, you know, rigor and control and process and, you know, and, and so it works really well with this model because especially when people get in a little bit bored, I can offer them something that's not necessarily a promotion or a kind of vertical move. I can move them laterally and second them over here. And, yeah. and so, you know, you know, it's working for us now. What it's going to work, look like when we're, you know, 150 people, 200 people, I don't know. But um, for now, it's it's serving as well. Right. That's That's great. And <laughs> I, I definitely have seen the um, the generalist to specialist, and and um, that's that can be really demoralizing for a lot of people who because what you're doing a lot of times is taking a broad set of responsibilities, and this person who helped get you there is suddenly being pigeonholed more and yeah. more into one thing, and they're feeling like they're losing influence. And so I love the idea that you can you can take the strengths of that person, which is that generalist and 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 probably a really hardworking, passionate person, and get that person then focused on uh, developing new markets, and then have some of the other people who literally feel like they're on quicksand in that kind of a yeah. world, and and they need that stability, and they like that stability. So I, I, I think you have a unique formula there that seems to be working oh, pretty well. Thanks. <laughs> Um, so I know one of the things that you mentioned yesterday um, was that you were excited about this concept of North Star Metric and you felt like it could bring some value to the business. So I do. <laughs> no, I feel like it feels like such like growth 101. You yeah. Know, like, but um, and I don't necessarily think it's that we didn't have one. I think we have at various times been working with one, but just we haven't formalized it cascaded made it a real focal point right. um, and that's one of the things straight away like the team and i when we were there yesterday were just like oh yeah of course this just makes so much sense right and especially was, if you could tie it to mission if you can completely. like bring a number that has really meaning and mission and then rally the troops behind it there's a lot of power in that yeah and i like the idea of it being one you know like yeah. simple to understand it being one and and even just like yesterday like i just saw it was great to take the guys out of the office get them thinking bigger than the kind of tactical day-to-day -day, and you so straight away when we started talking about like what is our not star metric just the 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 energy just came back straight away and, and you know this morning they came in and like right we're gonna have a workshop with the leadership we need to workshop this through and it was just it was good and I often find that about workshops they're a really great way to reinvigorize it and, and also make you think slightly differently about what you're doing yeah um, and we were worried you know because we're not a SaaS business and we're not a subscription business and, and the kind of normal tech companies you know we are a, usually a one purchase sure um, that we wouldn't have as much to get from it but I didn't find that all I actually found we probably actually got more from it yeah and I'm and I've been really struggling with that recently the the one purchase companies and um, an engagement loop is so important and how do you drive someone yeah. who you retain long term and we, we touched on earlier that I think I think if you can really optimize for value delivery and really meeting that need, that you can hopefully drive that referral loop because that's the challenge with a one-time purchase is that, I mean, the, the, the challenge is that you can't really drive that engagement long-term, but I think the advantage is that 
you have a lot of prospects who don't have lock-in with a different provider. Mm. You have essentially most people are coming in where they where it's, they don't have that that high switching costs. So you can acquire them, but if you can then take the existing group really meet their needs and use them as the conduit to get to those other people, then, then I think it can be a really powerful formula, but it is very different than a, an engagement business where it's all about how do I get more often for, for a much longer retention cohort with people. Um, so yeah, it's yeah. interesting. <laughs> Not sure there's a question there or just no, an observation. I, I was just going to say, and when you fi- figure it out, will you come back and tell me? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I, but I think part of that is that figuring out, and I've, I've seen it now. I mean, this is one of the things I love about workshops where I'm, uh, especially when I come to Europe and I obviously want to make the most of my time. So it's like three weeks of workshop after workshop. And I, you start to see patterns. And, and, and I, I think uh, I had a workshop in Germany a, a little while ago that had the same the same issue. They were, yeah. they were in the car space and it's, and it's basically a once every seven year purchase and retention and engagement was not an, an important part for them. Yeah. And so seeing it now across a few and then like, oh, well, the, but you can still build really successful businesses in that kind of a model. So how is it different? What do you do differently? How do you test and iterate? What metric are you really optimizing on? So that's where I do think something like a North Star metric can be not North Star metric, but a, uh, Net promoter score, yeah. <laughs> yeah but that, like that, that ability of being able to really optimize on what, what, how do you get people to an experience where they're very likely to recommend it to other people? That's that's I think another part of just how how you build and accelerate that engine. Yeah. There's so many questions that I would love to ask you, but I want to make sure that we um, we end on time here. So probably the last thing I'd really like to dig into is. Um, when you think about growth, you've been now with, with two companies, you've been with lots of companies, obviously you've been in consulting roles. There's like other things, but, but yeah, two main ones. Yeah, yeah. T- two where you've kind of conceptualized and, and built and grown. What do you feel like you understand about growth today that you didn't maybe a year ago or two years ago or, or however long ago? What's, what's that thing that maybe would have been really helpful to understand in the past? Um, I don't know if this sounds a bit obvious, but um, I think because I think sort of with the advent of like the mobile phone and then social media and everybody building platform, you know, building huge businesses on the back of like social media platforms and the iPhone, um, I definitely thought that like it was all about digital. Mm-hmm. Uh, like a hassle for me I didn't even consider like brand really as, yeah. as a thing and I think what I what how I feel about it now is that there's so much noise out there of, of, of people people have just started to shut down whether it's to news or whether it's to new products or whether it's to world events like getting someone's attention is getting harder and harder and harder. Um, And so I feel like the power of brand and the power of mission and the power of values, Mm -hmm. we've put them front and center in this company where we didn't before. Now, I don't know if that just sounds a bit really obvious, and because it it probably does seem obvious now, but it was a real big realization for me. No, it has been for me as well. I'm so numbers and test and like, just like very localized focused that um, even for me to go from like, purely quantitative to qualitative in general to try to understand customers better was a big switch. Yeah. But then to start thinking about how important mission is in giving people sustainable energy to keep working together to, to do something and, and how important brand is, both in pride of the team 
for yeah. serving that brand, but then in how powerful that brand is in, in driving the referrals and in driving just, just in enthusiasm for what you're building from the customer base and how that can be an important part of the, the growth engine. So I definitely yeah. have made some of those same uh, evolutions in thinking myself. So um, I'd love to share with some of my key takeaways from what you what you've gone through. Sure, I'd um, love to hear it. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I mean, what I really like is this idea of it's it's it would be so easy in what you're doing to over engineer a solution for it that tries to do everything kind of badly. And I and I've definitely been um, guilty of that myself in in uh, startups in the past. And so I love this idea of just picking one thing, doing it really well. Don't try to tackle the entire problem. Just tackle a piece of it, and then use those relationships and understanding of customers to figure out what's the next problem we're going to solve, and the, and, the, and how you've really built a team that is exploring the edges and validating, kind of using that 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 whole lean startup approach of just because you think there's a problem that's there to be solved yeah. and just because you think the solution is the right one until you really validate that customers who use it and love it, um, you're, gonna, you're not gonna be able to sustainably grow it. And so having a team that's doing that and then putting it into the business as usual group I, I love that. I think that's that's unique. I have not seen companies approaching it that way. I've seen companies do that with marketing channels and kind of uh, growth levers where it's sort of the discovery team and the management team of things yeah. that are working, but actually doing that with whole kind of business expansion, I think is really neat. And then just as we touched on this, this recognition that the what you're trying to drive people to is an experience that is so great that they're going to refer it and that you may not be able to, of course you want to engage them through that building process and that building process can be many, many months. So there is a need to engage, but if you can get them to the point where they become big brand advocates for you, I think that's that's really the, the important shift in focus from what a traditional kind of engagement related business would look like. So those are, those are the big takeaways. I love your passion for what you're doing. Thank I you. think uh, the problem you're solving is an important one. And I can assume that the team is very passionate and motivated to work <laughs> with you on it. So thank you so much for sharing uh, oh, your journey with us. Thank you. It's been great to talk to you, Sean. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Breakout Growth Podcast. Please take a moment to leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, subscribe so you never miss a show. Until next week.